Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 45 concerning prayer. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded to us? What has God commanded us to ask of Him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord, which Christ our Lord Himself taught us. What is the Lord's prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. After the sermon, we will sing... In response from him, seven to stanzas one and nine. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, we are now at the last section of the Heidelberg Catechism, and it deals with prayer. Why is prayer at the very end of the Heidelberg Catechism? Isn't it, as it says in the Catechism itself, the most important part of our thankfulness? If it is the most important part of our thankfulness, then why did the authors put it at the very end? You would think that whatever is most important would be put at the very beginning. For normally, you first deal with the important stuff, and then the rest falls into place. But now it appears that prayer is being dealt with as if it is some afterthought. And that's also how the prayer functions in the life of man often. If all else fails, then you can still pray. And that may be the only thing you can do at that point, but at least there is still that one thing left you can do. Is that also the reasoning of the catechism? The reality, however, is that prayer was dealt with already at the very beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism, in the very first section. For in Lord's Day 3, we are told about the creation of man and what it was like before man fell into sin. 
And there we are told that God created man so that he might rightly know God as creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's what prayer is all about. We are created to praise and glorify God. For what is prayer? Prayer is communicating with God. It is speaking with Him. It is praising Him. It is glorifying Him. It is giving thanks to Him. It is letting your needs and your wants to be known. And it is praising Him for all that He has done. Well, that is what Adam and Eve did all the time before they fell into sin. But sin put an end to that communication. Communication between God and man became broken. And the only way that that communication could be restored again is through God himself. And that is what is described here in this second section of the Heidelberg Catechism, in this last section. There we are told how we have been delivered from our sins. In other words, and there we are told how the lines of communication have been restored through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, it is no wonder that prayer is dealt with now at the very end, at the last part of the third section. The final thing that the Lord Jesus Christ did was to open up the doors of heaven. And on it were... And then the Catechism reminds us of those lines of communication that have been restored. And that now all is well. And therefore we must now also make use of those lines of communication that have been opened. We must show our thanks to the Lord and praise his name. We can relate to that in our everyday lives. For think about what happens... When, because of war or natural disaster, a whole area of the land or a whole country is devastated. The most important thing that needs to be done after such devastations is that the lines of communication be restored. The power lines have to be repaired and the phone lines, the radio and TV stations have to be sending out their signals again. Only once those things have been restored again can things get back to normal, to the way it used to be. That's the way it is with our prayer. When we pray, we show that the lines of communication between God and us have been restored. Prayer is essential to the life of a Christian. Indeed, no one can call himself a Christian who does not know how to pray. And that is what the Catechism will teach us this afternoon. Let us listen to God's word as I've summarized it on the following theme. Prayer is necessary to keep the lines of communication open between God and us. And these lines are to be kept open in the first place for God's glory and the second place for man's eternal well-being. And so the theme is that prayer is necessary to keep open the lines of communication between God and us. And then we see that the lines need to be kept open for God's glory and for the eternal well-being of man. What does it mean that man lives his life to the glory of God? 
It means that he must be in harmony with him, that he must do God's will in every aspect of your life. As you know, that no longer happens. Man rebelled against God in paradise, and he has been doing that ever since. Now, instead of harmony, there is disharmony. Instead of peace, there is strife. That is also what God said in Genesis 3. He said that now there is enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. In other words, it is war. Parties that are at war with each other do not communicate with each other. Instead, those warring parties are out to destroy each other. For their interests completely conflict. They want absolutely nothing to do with each other. That's also what we see when there is a war between nations. Then the warring parties will do everything in their power to bring down the lines of communication. They will bomb the radio and TV stations so that no propaganda, no information, and no help can go out to the people. And any people that they capture, they will keep from communicating with their own side. They want them to be totally cut off from any contact with those who would be there to help them. They will only feed them information that will demoralize them. For they do not want to give them any hope. By cutting off all contact, they also prevent any help from coming to them. If you want to be successful in war, that you have to make sure that the enemy is not able to have contact amongst themselves and with others. They need to be totally cut off. Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's also the tactic of Satan. If there is one thing that he does not want, is for you to be in communication with God. And he will do everything in his power to keep you from fellowship with him. He does not want you to have contact with the Lord God. He does not want you to have any help from him. He does not want you to have any hope. He does not want you to think that God is still around to help you. Satan is out to destroy you. He is out to demoralize you. And if he does give you any information, he will give you false information. And he does not want God to give you any right information. And so now you see why prayer is so important. Why it is so important for you always to be, con to be in contact with God. Without communion with God, you will perish eternally. And what does God want you to know? Well, he wants you to know, first of all, that Satan has already lost the battle. Oh, sure, there are still lots of little wars going on here and there. But the main battle has been won. And now Satan is in retreat. And you need to be reminded of that time and again... For Satan wants you to think that he has won. That he has won you over. That you have no power against him. And that there is nothing you can do against him. That's what he wants you to think. And nothing is farther from the truth. 
And already the Old Testament believer had to know that. He had to know that in spite of the battles that are going on in this world, and with the sin and with the devil, that ultimately Satan cannot touch those who belong to God. For what did the Lord Jesus, for, for what did the Lord God do already in the Old Testament? He promised the coming of a Redeemer, the coming of a Savior. And He promised that already in paradise. For He promised that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent, Satan. He made that promise because the Lord God hates war and strife. And therefore, he wants the lines of communication to be opened between him and you. For only he can help you in your battle against Satan. And so, through his son Jesus Christ, he also opened the doors of communication. While he was still on earth, the Lord Jesus said that he is the door through which they may enter the sheepfold, that he is the door of the sheep, and that no one can come to the Father except by him. And when Christ ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God, and he made access for his children a certainty, for he laid down his life for the sheep so that that could also come about. And do you know who those sheep are? Well, take careful note of the way question 116 is phrased. It asks, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Uses the word Christians. We are taught in Lord's Day 12 why we are called Christians. It says that we are Christians because we are members of Christ by faith. We belong to him because of our faith. When you believe in the Lord Jesus, he says that you believe that you, that he has won the victory. And you believe that he is seated at the right hand of God right now to intercede for you. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 34 and following. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And now it comes and is also interceding for us. Satan is always trying to engage you in some kind of battle. He wants you to rebel against God. He wants you to do whatever it is that keeps us from having full fellowship with God. Listen to what Paul says further in that passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. And so we must believe so that we do not perish. We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But such faith also has to be an active faith. Faith is not only trusting in the Lord. Faith also means that you do something. Someone who has faith does not just sit back. 
and not do anything. No, he also acts in accordance with that faith. And if you believe that your Father in heaven truly exists and that he really cares for you and loves you and provides you with all your needs and fights all the battles for you, wouldn't you want to talk to him then? It is not so that Christ has done it all and that now his children are left passive. On the contrary, Christ also showed his children how they are to keep the lines of communication with God open. And that is through prayer. Prayer is a very necessary and integral part of our relationship with God. And for that reason, the Lord Jesus also gave his disciples and to all of us the Lord's Prayer. He gave them that prayer because he wanted them to pray. It's a command. However, there's a problem. Because of sin, we have lost the ability to speak to God. And that is why we need to be taught to pray. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ also gave us the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot of praying that goes on in this world. People pray for this and for that and everything else. Much of the praying that is done, however, is worthless. James says in chapter 4 of his letter, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Sometimes that's a problem for you and for me as well. We do not always pray for the right things or in the right manner. Prayer must be based on an intimate knowledge of who God is. For answer 117 tells us that we from the heart must pray or must call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word. And so you have to know who he is. And that means you have to know your Bible. There are those who have difficulty with prayer, especially public prayer. They don't know what to say. And so they would rather leave it up to somebody else, someone who has better speaking ability. Even though they know their Bible and have studied it all their lives, have gone to church, yet they have difficulty putting words in their mouth of prayer. And there are even some parents who are not able to pray out loud with their family. And there are also men in the congregation who will not pray in public. Sometimes that's because of nerves, and that's understandable. But think about it. Why would you be nervous? Are you comparing yourself to those with smooth tongue and who come, so it seems, with all the right phrases? They just roll off their tongue. Well, praying to God is not to offer up some empty, well-worn phrases. Those who pray to God like that do not necessarily have an intimate relationship with their maker. What is prayer? Prayer, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is an expression of our covenant relationship. If you know what it means to live within that covenant relationship, then you will also know how to pray. And then you will not be at a loss for words. And then you know that God will understand you and hear you, even if it is all you do is to sigh. He understands your struggles. He knows how Satan is out to destroy you. 
And so God wants you to speak to him about the struggles that you have in your life. And you can also do that in your public prayers. And God, he will hear you. He will hear your cry for help. Prayer is not meant in order to make an impression upon others. That's what the Pharisees did. But God says, pray to him from the heart. Concentrate on the heart, not on the words you have to say. And God, he will put words in your mouth. He will encourage you and he will comfort you. And if you have a covenant relationship with the Lord your God, then you will also know when to pray. There are some Christian traditions who maintain rigorous schedules of prayer. They pray at very definite periods of time during the day. Most of us do not have such a rigorous schedule. Outside of our established custom of prayer at mealtimes and when we retire for the night, we do not have set rules. Prayer can be done at any place and any time, we say. Experience, however, teaches that Things that can be done at any time tend to be done at no time. Praying should be as natural to you as a Christian as breathing. You know what Paul says to the Thessalonians in chapter 1 or in in chapter 5 verse 17? He says, pray continually. You should be praying all the time. You should be praying every day, every moment of each day. And that means that you should pray during times of rejoicing and during times of adversity, during times of difficulties, during times of temptation. The Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed all the time while he was on earth. He would never have been able to do what he did without prayer. Prayer gives you the strength to do what you need to. Listen to what the Catechism says further. It says that prayer is necessary because he will only give to those who ask. You may wonder, is that really true? In the first place, doesn't God already know what I need? That's also what it says in Psalm 139, verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And we also read it together when we read from Matthew. Why then should we ask if he already knows? And furthermore, isn't it true that people that do not pray receive most of the same things that we do? They also receive their bread and their drink and their shelter and their clothing and sometimes even more. And they also are able to overcome various battles of life such as their addictions and other problems. But if that's how you think, then you are not thinking as a person of faith. For you see, someone who talks like that does not know the ways of the Lord. For in the first place, God requires from you that you pray to Him. It's first of all a matter of Obedience. Well, sure, it's ha- it also happens that those who do not pray will also receive. But they are disobedient. They don't have a relationship with God. 
And whatever they receive from God, they receive from their, to their condemnation. God will hold them accountable. Oh, sure, God gives to all men. But He only gives so that the recipients may acknowledge Him as the supplier of all good things. Prayer, beloved, is an expression of faith. If you truly believe that He exists, that He created all things, and that He provides everything in your life, and then you cannot help but speak to Him about it and thank Him for these gifts. And then when you see the sun rise, and when you see the grass grow, and the animals being looked after in the field and in the forest and in the air, and when you receive food on your table, then you cannot help but speak about it to your Heavenly Father. And then you will also pour out your heart to Him and give thanks to Him. And then when you have certain struggles in your life, then you will also want to talk to your Father in Heaven about it. Someone who has studied God's Word realizes full well that whatever he receives, he receives out of grace alone. Because of sin we deserve eternal damnation. And it is only through God's grace that we can be the recipients of so many wonderful things. Someone who truly knows the Lord also knows deep in his heart that whatever he receives, he receives to his own good. But there are times that God withholds things from us. We ask Him for them, but we do not receive them. We think that we really need to receive what we are asking for, and we could not imagine why God would withhold it. And yet He does. If you know the will of the Lord and His ways, then you will also submit yourself to His will. For do you think that your Heavenly Father who gave his own son to shed his blood for you, that he would wish you any harm, that he would withhold anything from you that you desperately need. As the Lord Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7, what earthly father would give his son a serpent instead of a fish, or a stone instead of a piece of bread, if that is how it is with your heavenly father, just imagine with your earthly father, just imagine what it is like with your heavenly father. The Lord God will never ever give you anything or withhold anything from you in order to harm you. Whatever he gives you, he will give to you for your good. Sometimes it may seem that he is giving you something evil, but that's not true. For God will use whatever comes to us in this life for our own good. And when we pray to the Lord our God and we acknowledge Him as a faithful and loving Father. As we read from the letter of James, God gives to all men generously. But we must ask in faith, not doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. No, the Lord God is concerned about you and me. 
He is concerned about your eternal well-being. We come to the second point. As we saw, prayer is only for Christians. It is for those who know the will of the Lord and who also want to do the will of the Lord. If you know God and you also know that you are to fight against your sins with all your might, those who lie and cheat habitually without remorse and who then lift up their hands in prayer to God will, as it says in Isaiah 1 verse 15, not see God's face. To them, God's face will be hidden. And those who refuse to forgive others their sins, they cannot expect God to forgive them either, even though they pray for it. And those who do not want to put up a good fight when Satan tempts them, they will not receive any benefit from prayer either. Nor does it make sense to ask God for riches, when he tells us in Matthew 19, verse 24, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it is always ora et labora, pray and work. The one does not come without the other. You will not receive from God what you are not willing to fight for yourself even though it is not through your own fight, through your own efforts, that you receive these things. Even children know that there are certain things that parents will not give them. Ha, no use asking my dad, they will say of their father, he's not going to give it to us anyway. Well, the same thing, you ought to know about your heavenly father. We ought to know what we can and cannot ask for. We ought to know what is legitimate and what is not. As Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, your father knows what you need before you ask him. That does not mean that you do not have to tell him, but it means that you cannot lead him astray. At one time, some people brought to Jesus a paralytic, a person who could not get up for most of his natural needs and wants. When he was lying there at the feet of the Lord Jesus, his real needs were evident for, to everyone. You would think, that man needs to be healed. What did the Lord Jesus say? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Christ identified and provided for that man's deepest need. We must know what is good for us. And that is why in answer 116, the two most important items that we need are mentioned. It speaks about God's grace and His Holy Spirit. And there is nothing more important than those two. Why do we first of all need God's grace so desperately? We need it, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, because of our fall into sin. Without God's grace, we would perish eternally. For God's grace refers to His mercy. It refers to His compassion. An old Hebrew word connects it to the womb of a mother. A good mother has compassion for that life in her womb. A real mother would not do any harm to her baby. Well, that is also how it is with God and His children. 
But we need to pray for God's grace. The Lord God does want us to realize that we need him and that we cannot live without him. And for that reason, we also have to pray for the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. For if the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, then we also live close to the Lord our God. But what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That is one of his major activities. That means that he makes us holy, that he makes us pure, that he makes us righteous, that he makes us acceptable in the sight of God, that he equips us for service. The Holy Spirit burns away our impurities. And the Holy Spirit also guides us. He reminds us time and again of the law of God and what it takes in order to show our thankfulness to God for all that He has done. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the will of God. And above all, the Holy Spirit reminds us that our obedience ultimately depends on the obedience of Christ alone. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can be children of God. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are at war. But in that war, God is at your side. And so time and again, you had better call him to your side. For it is only with him at your side that you can win the battle. It is only through him that the lines of communication can be restored. Keep those lines of communication open. Pray continually. Amen.